Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We want to encourage you to check out all the various podcasts that we have at the Scattered Abroad Network. You can find our podcast uh, in uh, various app stores or what have you, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Easiest way to find all of our podcasts would be the Master Feed. Just search the Scattered Abroad Network Master Feed. You can also check out our website at scatteredabroad.org. And again, we've got several different new podcasts that we have um, included this season, including a uh, sports podcast. Now you say a sports podcast. Well, that's basically just to provide an outlet for that uh, that is uh, appropriate. You don't have to worry about, you know, bad language or beer commercials and different things like that. You know, a lot of guys like to listen to sports content, but unfortunately there's a lot of that kind of stuff that has to be weeded through. And so uh, this kind of gives a way to be able to listen without having to worry about all that stuff. So go check that one out. That's called the, uh, the goat podcast. And uh, that's an interesting one that Michael Clark has put out recently. Anyways, uh, back to the everyday Christian podcast. We've had Avery Hackney with us. Uh, last week, we began discussing morality. We talked a lot about immorality as well. But uh, what we want to do this week is we want to begin with a discussion of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. This is really, you know, in a nutshell, what we're seeing today, just like Paul was seeing during that time. And uh, so, Avery, it's good to have you with us again. Good to be here. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Let me uh, be on. Yep. And I uh, appreciate your comments as usual. Don't forget, Avery's been on the podcast before, not only last week and Lord willing next week as well, but also uh, he's discussed mission work with us a time or two as well. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and just begin by uh, reading Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. I've asked Avery if he would to read that. And I'm going to finish some birthday cake because some, some people had some birthday cake up here uh, while I've been recording. So uh, don't read too fast or I won't be able to finish it, Avery. Oh, I'm going to speed read. All right. All right. Romans 1, starting in verse number 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what uh, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Verse number 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and, foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise they became fools. And they changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use um, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, uh, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are uh, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only the same, but also approve, uh, not only do the same, but also approve those of those who practice them. 
Almost like uh, Paul's kind of going on a rant uh, in this Ooh. second half of Romans chapter one. Yeah. You know, the first chap, the first half of the chapter, he's dealing with you know the gospel and obedience to the faith. Romans one verse five, and he, of course that's his his overall treatise in the whole book. But he's kind of ramping up his discussion of uh, the first three chapters of sin. You know, the problem of sin, and then the rest of the book is uh, in a nutshell how to deal with this problem of sin, of course, through Christ. But uh, you you read some of those verses, especially that long list beginning in verse uh, 29 through 31, all these different things. It's like Paul's ranting like, hey, we've got this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, mm-hmm. on and on he goes. And I know we need to be balanced in our preaching. Uh, we need to preach, you know, we need to point out the problems of society in our preaching. That's not the only thing we should preach, of course. We should preach many other things as well. But part of it, you know, part of preaching the whole counsel of God is pointing out these things. So uh, in a nutshell, what do you say about this section that you just read, Avery, before we kind of go back through verse by verse? Well, uh, a few things here. One, it, I mean, we're in the same thing. We're, we're going through the same morality issues today. Um, and we talked about that last week, how morality sometimes feels cyclical. It feels like we're going through a, a, a cycle of sin, oppression, cry, you know, deliverance, just like in Judges. Um, but also I want to point out that, you know, when, when the letter to the Romans was compiled, it wasn't broken into verses and chapters. We understand that. His rant is not over. It's not even close to being over. Yeah. Because if you go to chapter two, he says in verse number one, therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God, and and according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's like a mic drop. Uh, that is to verse three. Don't stop at verse 32 of chapter one. You got to go to verse three of chapter two. So while you, you made a good point, you were saying that we need to talk about, um, you know, morality and, and so, you know, the social problems that we're dealing with. But keep in mind, there's other things here. And Paul said, hey, look, you've got to hold yourself to a higher standard before the world is going to change in chapter one. You've got to change yourself in chapter two. Mm-hmm. It's kind of almost backwards. He's, you know, if you want the world to change morally and, and to go towards God, you've got to show them the way. Right. You can't just sit back and, and expect, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, do as I do, don't do as I, uh, or do as I say, don't do as I do rather. Right. You know, that's not how life works. So he outlines how bad society had gotten to that point. And then he goes, here's part of the problem. And he points it to the people. To the Christians, you're yeah. part of the issue. And is if it, you uh, want, is it Joel or Amos? I can't I always get them backwards, but one of those books, you know, he says, you know, these are the sins of such and such, and then the sins of such and such, and the sins mm-hmm. of such and such, and oh yeah, they're probably like, amen, 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 <laughs> echo chamber, right? right? But then right. he gets down, and he says, well, here's your sins, right? And it's kind of the same thing, and yeah, that's a great point. We need to remember that. It starts right. with us. We've got to do our part to turn this ship around, so to speak. And uh, hypocrisy is a major problem. You know, he gets into that in the section, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, that that should really prick our hearts and say, okay, we see what the world's doing wrong. What about us? What do we need to fix in in our lives? Now, this isn't to say, you know, because sometimes people will rightly point that out, but then they'll let the pendulum swing the other direction and say, well, we can't point out the sins of the world at all. And that would be the other extreme that would be wrong, too. So balancing this out properly is is pretty tough, wouldn't you say, Avery? Oh, absolutely. And I want to talk about that idea of hypocrisy for just a moment before we move a little bit further. Um, in our minds, when we talk about hypocrisy, we think of we think of it as always being an act. So to act hypocritically, you know, in, in the case of morals 
is for a Christian to go to church and, and you know, be a part of a, a church family uh, and, and be active in the church family. And then throughout the work week, they live however they want, or maybe the weekend they live how they want. And we think, okay, that's hypocritical. And that is. But again, going back to our text of Romans chapter one, that's not always the case. It doesn't always have to be an action, because if you look at verse 32, he says in the middle way through verse 32, he says, those who practice such things are deserving of death. But then at the very end, he says, but also approval, those who approve of the practice of such things are part of the issue. So, again, we need to keep our morals clean. We need, but we also need to take a stand. That's what people don't understand. And I have this problem a lot in the church with young people. They think, well, I can be friends with the world as long as I don't participate. Um, that's not what Paul said. That is yeah. not what he said to the Romans. He said, you are approving of their immorality. Now, you may or may not be participating, but by staying silent, that is giving approval to these people. Um, and so, again, you know, we're not we're not suggesting people go out and, you know, be violent against people or anything of that nature at all. But you have to stand your ground and you have to say, not only am I not going to practice this, but also I'm not OK with the practice of this. I can't be associated with the practice of this immoral action. Um, it's all lumped together. And I think both sides are hypocritical. If you teach against it and then you practice it, obviously that's hypocritical. But if you teach against it, but you are silent against it when it comes crunch time, you know, when your friends are caught up in a certain doctrine or in a certain social uh, immoral action, and we stay silent, that is just as hypocritical based on Romans chapter one. Yeah. Again, there's a fine line of balance there. I also think about the, uh, the expression we were fond of saying, uh, live in the world, but not of mm -hmm. the world. That exact phrase is not found in the Bible, but the sentiment is definitely, I think of John chapter 17, uh, Jesus's prayer for his disciples uh, not only his apostles, but all disciples in John chapter 17. And and part of the sentiment there is basically the idea of we're not supposed to uh, be worldly. And and I think First uh, John deals with it quite a bit. And also think about First Corinthians chapter 5, which is a parallel passage to what we've been discussing. And in that passage, Paul is dealing with the fact that Corinth was was putting up with and even boastful of someone who was committing fornication with his father's wife. Mm -hmm. And then Paul goes into a discussion towards the end of the chapter, and he talks about how he's not they're not supposed to keep company with the the fornicator in that situation. And then he says in verse 10, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous extortioners, idolaters, etc., since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, drunkard, uh, et cetera, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. There's mm -hmm. a very important principle for us there in the church, and that is, hey, uh, you know, we, we sometimes use the term policing one another. Well, we do police one another in one sense uh there's there's some who take policing you know the brotherhood police quote unquote way too far the other direction but there is a general sense in which we are to encourage one another build one another up consider one another hebrews 10 verse 24 to provoke unto love and good works watch out for each other right watch each other's backs that's what we're talking about we do that for each other uh we don't <clears throat> we don't go beat down the doors of our next door neighbor who's not a member of the church there's other ways that we have to try to teach them, and I think if we're not careful, we can become like the uh, the infamous Westboro Baptist Church folks who are preaching in your face to people who have nothing to do with the church. We've we've got to balance that correctly as well, and and 
given that's a very hard thing to do. Um, sometimes we, we make the wrong call and we mess this up. But again, go back to that principle in first Corinthians chapter five. Um, you know, he uses the term judge. We judge those in the church, not outside of the church. So we still preach those difficult sermons and we hope that uh, people out of the church will hear those sermons even, but there's just a, a right way and a wrong way to go about it. Does that make sense? Am, am I am I going right. in circles? No, no, no. That's exactly right. And I actually want to stay in First Corinthians um, <clears throat> because basically in Romans chapter one, he outlines all the uh, you know immoral actions that the culture was involved in. And then Romans chapter two, he says, "But you have to walk uprightly if you want it to change." I mean, if we're taking a very you know paraphrased version of what's going on in that. And we see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because the last verse you read was verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges, therefore put away from yourself the evil person. Okay. And then if you go down to about verse number 9 of chapter 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual, nor uh, sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Watch verse 11. And such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So when we go back again to the idea of setting an example, Okay, in Romans chapter 2, he says you need to set a, an example in deed, in, 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 in what you're doing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, he's saying when you take a stand, that is the example. When you take a stand, when you separate yourself from those people, when, you, when they see that you're different, um, when, when they see that you have uh, put away, quote, from yourself the evil person, well, it worked in the case of the Corinthians. Such were some of them. Um, and going back to the idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the, the beginning of that, that's what Paul's trying to get them to do because they have this man living with his father's wife, um, and they have gotten almost numb to it. Um, he says this is something that's not even imagined among the Gentiles. You know, this is not even tolerated in the world. And you guys are not only allowing him to worship there, but you're boastful. That's where you got. And then he kind of corrects him and says, hey, you have got to separate himself, yourself from them. Don't you remember that you used to be like that, but you, you're different now. You're sanctified. You're washed. You're justified. Um, and so I think it, again, speaks to the power of setting an example. Because like you said, we're not, we're not being militant. We're not you know, uh, going out and being like, I think you mentioned the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, we're not that. That's not what the gospel is. Um, the gospel is spread through word and through example. Um, and I think 1 Corinthians 6, writing on the back of 1 Corinthians 5, is you go and be that example. You go and tell those people who are caught up in this problem and this social dilemma that I used to be like that. I used to be, but I'm different now. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I'm set apart. I'm washed. And so, no, I can't be a part of this you know, group that I used to be a part of. And maybe, just maybe, in seeing your strong example, that will prick the hearts of some people and start, you know, have them asking questions. Well, what changed in this person's life? Why is this person so much happier outside of the world, you know? Um and so I think it's really important that we we look at both of those texts together. I think they really uh, complement one another. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just my perspective of it. But but I think it's important that five and six went right beside each other. Again, going back to the idea that when the book to the uh, or the letter to the Corinthians was written, it was not in verses and chapters. It was all one narrative together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, we are we're to be. Like you said, standing out, we are to be a peculiar people zealous of good works. And uh, when we are that peculiar people zealous of good works, we will stand out in such a way that people are going to look at us. And I think of First Peter 3, verse 15, it says, But always be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
people should be seeing our lives and the hope that we have and the meekness of our lives. And that should, that should foster questions like, Hey, why are you happy? Don't you see what's going on in the world right now? Mm -hmm. How can you be happy? Well, I've got, yeah, I mean, I've got sorrows in my life. I've got trials, but there's a general sense of overall happiness in the back of my mind, always joy because I'm a Christian and I know where I'm going and we need to be able to answer those questions, which will lead to evangelism, et cetera. And it all boils down to being set apart, sanctified from the world around us. Uh, again, we use the expression being in the world, but not of the world. Those exact mm-hmm. words are not found in the Bible, but the sentiment very close to it is found in several places in the scriptures. And we need to take that to heart. Any thoughts on that before we kind of go back through uh well, I've got a couple other things I want to look at, and then we'll go back through uh, Romans chapter one again. Well, I mean, there's a lot I could say. I, I, I want to go to Joshua, but uh, I don't want to take too much time, but I'll just just read one little thing. Um, in Joshua chapter 24, verse number 15, that's where we always go. That's, you know, um, that's on plaques and, and paintings and, and people's houses. And that's a great verse, you know, when uh, Joshua challenged the people. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, um, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the river. But at the end of that text, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what we focus on out of Joshua chapter 24. But I want you to jump down to verse number um, 31. So verse number 30, uh, verse 29 and 30, Joshua dies. So he goes to rest with his fathers. Verse 31, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works the Lord, uh, works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. But in verse 1 um, of chapter 1 in Judges, right after that, we start to see the decline that there arises another generation that did not know God right after Joshua. And that's what we see going out through um, judges. So we have the death of Joshua in chapter 24. And as long as Joshua's example was alive, Israel was close to God. But then in judges chapter one, people immediately leave God, starting in verse 1, but going on through the whole chapter of chapter 1, we have a generation that does not know God because there is not the example. Um, So again, the idea of standing up to the world, being outside of the world, but in the world, um, it's important. And if that example is not there, then why would we expect our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids to know what righteousness is? It certainly didn't happen for Israel. Israel had seen so many wonderful things. I mean, this is coming right off, you know, Moses passes, Joshua takes his place. They have, I mean, there's people there that remember all the wonderful things that God had done and taking them uh, and preserving them and, and keeping them safe. And they had seen great, wonderful things. But as soon as Joshua passes, we start to see a new generation that does not know God. Um, because they did not see the example live on. Yeah, you know, it really does stop, or it really does start rather from the the top down. You know, leadership matters, and that is extremely important. We uh, we need to see good leadership because you know when you think about the history of Israel, Northern Kingdom after the split, they didn't have any good kings. They were all wicked. Mm -hmm. Southern kingdom, they had a handful, like a very small handful of good kings, and things went well when they had those good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. But by and large, most of Judah's kings even were evil as well, and times went very, very bad. Uh, The cycle in Judges we've mentioned last week and a little bit now as well. Leadership matters, and if we're seeing poor leadership, then you're going to see poor results uh, from the top down. One one last thing I wanted to actually reference these verses. So, you know, it started in, in Joshua 24, 29 and 30 when Joshua dies. That's the start of the decline. And then you have uh, kind of an area in chapter one of Judges 
of uh, confusion and they don't really know what's going on. In chapter two, starting in verse number seven, this is the verbal end of Israel's righteousness. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Again, going back to that idea of an example living on through us to stand up against immorality, um, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, uh, which he had done for Israel. But verse number 10, it says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, passed away. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. So if our generation, if our righteousness doesn't live on not only in us, but if we don't instill that in our children and instill these morals and this idea that we need to stand our ground against the world, um, this cycle is going to keep repeating and we're going to continue to degenerate into immorality. So anyway, I, I just wanted to mention that. I didn't want to just reference something without giving the actual verse. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, degenerating back into more and more immorality, That's that cycles us right back to Romans chapter 1, which is where we want to go back through again. We've already read it, but we're going to begin in verse 18. And I'm going to read through these verses one by one and just make some comments here and there. And Avery, if you would, just stop me um, if you want to kind of say something about each verse. And uh, we'll go through it like that, and uh, we'll be close to wrapping up the episode for this week. But verse number 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we see all immorality is going to receive God's wrath. He doesn't just pick and choose. He doesn't play favorites. He's not partial. He's not a respecter of persons. But notice also suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Again, is that not what we talked about with postmodernism and people wanting to suppress the truth? And sometimes we even hear what? My truth. Here's my truth. And here's your <laughs> truth. And we can all agree to disagree because this is my version of truth and this is your version of truth. No, there there is an objective truth. There's an objective morality, and uh, it's been there all along, but people are forsaking it. You got anything on that before we go to verse 19? I mean, <clears throat> what do you want? Do you want a, a, a you know two-month-long sermon series? Because I could give one on, <laughs> on suppressing truth. I mean, yeah. man, you know, one of the tools that Satan uses, if you go back to Genesis, um, you know, we're told that Satan walks about like a roaring lion, right? You know, he's he's fierce. When we saw him in Genesis, he was a snake. Um, and he spoke kindly with Eve. He was subtle. We always expect Satan to come in the form of the roaring lion, but not always. So the idea of suppressing truth, that can be so subtle. Again, going back to the idea of our children and our, you know, standing for truth. You know, Satan doesn't have to have you stand on a table and curse God for him to get you. Yeah. It can be as simple as not saying a word. And that's what the Romans had dealt with. They have mm -hmm. all this immorality and it says, hey, you know, you guys, you guys have to be the example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they have this man living with his father's wife, and he says, this is not even heard among the Gentiles, but you're okay with it. It doesn't always have to be so, you know, grand. It can be subtle. And so I think that idea of suppressing truth is much more common than we give it credit. Because all he has to do is get you to say nothing. Right. And he's already won. But th that's just, uh, I mean, real powerful. Yeah, you give the devil an inch and he'll take a mile. And right. he's done that. And he's he's inserted himself little by little. He, he's subtle, like you said. Um, he, he's got a long game. And he's been playing it for, for a long, long time. And he's introducing things here and there bit by bit, piece by piece. Because if he introduced his entire agenda all at once, you know, 100 years ago for our country, let's say, it would have immediately gotten shot down. I mean, oh, yeah. immediately. But he's introduced things little by little. 
very first cuss word that was ever uh, uttered in a movie, Gone with the Wind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now he, you can't hardly go to the movie theater without hearing, you know, a hundred f bombs or, or what have you. So, um, he's he's accomplished that by getting us to accept it. You know, when I say us, I mean society, little by little, piece mm-hmm. by piece. Uh, verse number nineteen it says. Because what may be known of God is manifest or made clear in them, for God has shown it to them. It's not like God has left us in the dark. You know, you could reference Second Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Second Timothy 3, 16 as well, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But people ignore the truth. The truth is there for the taking, but people ignore it. They cast it off. They don't want to hear it, and that's what we're dealing with today verse uh, 20 says for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament shows his handiwork psalm 8 verses 3 through 4 it talks about when i consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon the stars which you have ordained what is man that you are mindful of him son of man, that you visited him. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 14, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and, you know, et cetera. We could keep reading verses like that. The point being, when we look around, literally, we just have to look around. We have to know there is a God, and we're without excuse. Any thoughts on that, Avery? Yeah, and, and I mean, it's clear, you know, it is clear that we have a intelligent creator, um, and to reject that is just so, it's so odd. It's so odd to me that people can look around and attribute it to all matter of different things. You know, in this case, it says they were, you know, making, which we'll get to those verses in just a moment, but they attribute it to uh, earthly things. But I mean, our infatuation with science and other things, and science is not inherently bad. But we always try to get around the fact that God is there and that God created. Um, And time and time again, we can look at different scientific thoughts and theories and say, you know, it all points back to God in some way or another. And they they try to get out of it. They try to attribute design and creation to something else. And it just boggles my mind how people try so hard to forget how God, you know, creates and how God is intelligent and how God designed. Um, mm-hmm. But but anyway, I, I think the Romans dealt with the same issue that we have in that. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I like that you put how, you know, people are trying to find a way to get rid of God. And the reason for that is, is because they don't want to be accountable to God. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line that Paul's dealing with in this passage. And it's the bottom line with what we're dealing with in society today. People don't want to be accountable to a God, a omnibenevolent, om, omniscient, omnipotent, you know, all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Many people don't want to be accountable to him because they know that if he does exist and they are accountable to him, that means that they're going to have to change their life and be uh, conforming to his accepted standard. And we right. know that's what we have to do. But most people don't want to uh, do that. They don't want to believe that either. Verse uh, number 21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So there's so much to unpack here. Um, Deep down, do you think that everybody, like in the deep, dark recesses of their soul. Do you think deep down we have to know there is a God, but most people just want to reject that? Well, I mean, I think that there is clear evidence for that. Um, Because if you go back to even just different cultures throughout the world, throughout, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, every culture points to some higher being. Now, sure, there's are, there are some cultures that did not know the God of the Bible. Um, but everybody attributes design and creation to something greater than themselves. And I think within ourselves, there is a, a, a natural um, desire to know who that is. 
and to know that there's a God. And I mean, it's kind of common sense, if you will, right? that, well, I didn't create myself. You know, my parents didn't create themselves. You know, we all had to come from somewhere. There had to be a beginning of something. Um, and so I think there is a natural human urge to find out who that is. And uh, to, I love the fact that in this verse, it talks about how um, they were not thankful mm-hmm. to suppress the urge to contact God and suppress the urge to know who God is, is to be ungrateful. Yeah. I mean, we think of it as, you know, just, oh, well, they don't want to hold themselves up to, you know, a higher moral standard. And that is the case, true. But in doing so, they're also being extremely ungrateful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that in and of itself, you know, we need to be grateful for what we have and, you know, what we've been given and, and the life that we have. Um, and to, it's just, it, it's terrible that, you know, we reject um, the relationship that we could have with our creator. Yeah. Yeah, they're totally self-absorbed, mm-hmm. and uh, that's all over this chapter uh, as well. Um, not thankful, but also they're futile in their thoughts. So that's the idea of, you know, their thoughts are just vain and empty and, and worthless, um, useless. And then their foolish hearts were darkened. That's uh, another thing. We don't have to be in the dark. Like I said, in previous verses, God has given us the light of his word. We can know the truth, but so many people are in the dark, spiritually speaking. And I think back to first uh, John chapter one, verses five through seven, we're supposed to walk in the light, you know, in God, there's no darkness at all. So we're supposed to walk in his light. Uh, John three, verse 19 talks about how people loved darkness rather than light. John chapter one, people basically persecuted the light because they didn't want to they didn't want the light of the world. They didn't want Jesus. Many, many people. Um, so their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the opposite of light. Verse uh, 22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Obviously, pride is all over that. Um, the Bible talks about how there are those who are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. To me, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Yeah, I uh, again going back to this idea of <clears throat> trading God and His design for our own ideas and our own, you know, um, thought process. We are in love with with science, right? <laughs> you know, I just mentioned this a minute ago. We're in love with science and trying to figure everything out on our own. We don't need. God to tell us how he did it. You know, we're, we're going to come up with our own. It is, it is a religion. It in in and of itself is a religion. You know, the idea that we are smart enough uh, to figure it out on our own, whether it be morality or how we were created or any of these other things that, you know, um, and the end of this verse it gets to the point where it's just so foolish. In fact, I took a screenshot and, and I, I did not, uh, again, I did not intend for this to be uh, brought up, but I just saw something on Instagram the other day and I wanted to share it with you. Um, now, I don't know the validity of all this, but it says the James Webb telescope discovered ancient galaxies that could disprove our understanding of the Big Bang. Um, really? Really? I mean, come on. Like, I, I'm not... You know, again, I don't know anything about that study. I have no no idea. But the idea that we can put, invest so much faith, and that's what it is, mm-hmm. invest so much faith in science. And, in, and then in a second, we find out, oh, wait, no, that's not right. And nobody says anything. Yeah. Nobody says anything. And, it, and, you know, again, that's just one example. And that may or may not, you know, I don't know anything about that study. But the point is, is that we can invest our whole selves into something so as paul says foolish yep i mean professing to be wise we become fools mm-hmm. uh, i think that's just a, a really uh microcosm of what we 
deal with in the scientific sphere of things. Yeah. I, uh, I saw a Facebook post one time from PBS and it was a science program and it said, basically, did you know that there was a period in earth's history where it rained for 2 million years straight? And he mm. said, there's evidence of, of floods over the entire <laughs> earth. Oh, and I'm like, uh, that's called the global flood. And it was 40 right. days and 40 nights, not 2 million years straight. I mean, what's, what's, more difficult to believe like two million years straight of rain and oh they were all localized floods but they just happened to cover the entire earth at different periods of time this is insane but they're the things you know the the links and the extremes that they go to to try to explain away the truth for which there's ample evidence by the way for the global flood they're trying to explain it away because they refuse to retain god in their knowledge i, I gotta mention one thing and, and i don't want to get too far off track but there's this new idea, uh, you know, idea out there called the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis. I don't know if you've heard about this. I've not. Okay, so basically, um, this is a simple, you know, watered down version of it. There is no disputing a, go a global flood, and some people, and this is a small group of the, you know, scientific community, have come together and said, "No, we can't get around a glo global flood." There's just America was all underwater, you know, the whole world was underwater. So what happened? And so they have come up with this younger Dryas impact theory, hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, that there was a meteor shower that hit the ice caps and uh, caused rapid global flooding. It's like, man, we've been telling you this since the dawn of time. You know, yeah. it's been recorded. We've been trying our very best. And now science is even kind of agreeing, like, you know, they've, they're giving up some ground, but they just, again, caught up in this foolishness. They can't let it go. They, well, Professing they have to, to explain be wise. It. They have to explain it their way. Right. It's like the guy on the playground who finally realizes he was wrong about something, but then he puts his own spin on it. Right. And still tries to turn it around and make it like, oh, well, I'm right. Well, no, you were dead wrong. Just give it up. Right. I mean, right. and it's just, it's silly. It's silly. But yep. I mean, you know, we, we oftentimes we go back to the Old Testament. We talk about the circle of the earth and we talk about, um, you know, treasures in the snow and the paths of the sea mm -hmm. and, you know, the underwater currents and water cycle. I mean, I mean, we talk about all that. And that's been recorded, scientifically recorded um, through scripture yep. since day one. And it's, you know, and now they're talking about, well, there there may have been global flooding, but it, of course it wasn't from God. It had to be a meteor shower that mm -hmm. uh, caused all you know life on Earth to 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 die off. Okay, all crazy. Right. Well, glad you yep. figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, maybe maybe there's some hope here though because we can use some of these statements that the scientific community is putting out, and we can actually teach people the truth. So, so right. there's that. I mean, you know, there's there's hope for that. Yeah. Uh, verse 23, we'll try to go through some of this a little quicker, but um, it says, And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You know, there's lots of verses in the Scripture. See uh, Habakkuk 2, verse 18. See Psalm 115, verses 5 through 8. But basically, these Scriptures talk about how idols are so dumb, <laughs> literally. So like <laughs> they cannot speak. They have mouths but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell, et cetera. And then it, the one in, in Psalm 115, I believe it is, says, uh, those who make them are like them. So it's like a ultimate mic drop from the <laughs> psalm there on uh, those who make idols. Verse uh, 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, capital C, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the bottom line here. People want to serve the creature rather than the creator. They want to serve themselves and all the stuff around them rather than serving God. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, again, going back to this idea of a cyclical system, uh, what was the quote? of the day uh bellies for the meat and meats for the belly uh you know i'm gonna do whatever i feel is right you know if god didn't want me to sin he wouldn't make me want to do it eat uh, drink this, and be merry yeah right this idea of, of self-service you know only 
focusing on self and, and just absorption in me, me, me. And I think that's really where we are culturally um, is, is all about me. Yep, for sure. Uh, verses 26 and 27 says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, uh, it says, uh, The men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. First of all, uh, anybody who says that the sin of homosexuality is not mentioned in the New Testament needs to put their reading glasses on because it's right there. It's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we mentioned earlier. And it's not like uh, something that was considered abomination to God in the Old Testament. All of a sudden, just wasn't abomination anymore in the New Testament. So there's all kinds of problem with that kind of logic. But I want to talk about this idea that God gave them up. He allowed them to turn to these things. Man has free will. God's not going to force us to obey him. Now, if we don't obey him, we will suffer the consequences, but he's not going to force us to do it. We have free will. And uh, many people choose to serve the creature instead of the creator. Yeah. Um, I mean, God doesn't want robots, right? Right. Um, he, he wants us to choose him. And that, you know, we referenced earlier, Joshua 24, 15, choose this day. Uh, morality is a choice. Now, yeah. there are things that are objective you know, objectively right and objectively wrong. Um, but at the end of the day, it's our choice to recognize those. Now, that's not going to change whether or not there are objectives, but God gives us the choice. Yeah. Um, and that goes down to love. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've talked about it on here before about, you know, free will and, and how that is a loving thing to do. Um, but if God wanted robots, you know, he would have made them. Yeah, he, he would did. have pre-programmed us to do exactly as he says. Right. But he and wanted us to choose to serve him because we do love him. He wa he loves us, and he wants us to show that love back, you know, reciprocally to him. Right. And and I've told people before when, when talking about this idea of free will, and, you know, I have a, a son, and you have children. You want your children to love you. Um, what is more special to you when you tell your child, Say that you love me. Or when your child comes up to you right after a nap and they got the sleepy eyes and they walk over there and they cuddle up with you and they say, I love you, daddy. Well, that means way more because right. they chose to say that. Um, you know, God wants love and he wants to be appreciated and he wants us to have a connection with him, but he's not going to force us to. Um, you know, so again, if you want to make bad decisions, God will let you make your own bad decisions, but expect to pay for those consequences. Yep. And when you choose to reject a relationship with God, don't be surprised when God re rejects a relationship with you, you know? And that's kind of the, the whole idea behind uh, this idea of giving them up. Yep. Yep. Verse 28 continues along these lines. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, again, they did not like to. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. God mm -hmm. gave them over. He allowed it. He gave them over. You know, the Bible also talks about in Timothy, I think it is, maybe it's Thessalonians, it talks about God sending strong delusion or allowing strong delusion. Uh, we talked earlier about, you know, the science stuff. Uh, Timothy talks about what well, Paul talks about in Timothy, talks about uh, f science falsely so-called, right? Uh, knowledge falsely so-called. So, God gave them over to these things, and it says to a debased mind. King James says uh, a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting, not appropriate. He gave them over to them. Uh, debased mind, reprobate mind, perverted mind, we might say. You know, when you think about sin, the first step in sin is taking something that uh, God said not to do and doing it, or God said hey, do this. Well, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay, that's kind of the first step. And I'll give an example. Fornication. Fornication is taking something that God created for one place, which is marriage, Hebrews 13, verse 4, and taking it outside of that proper context and taking a step away from that proper context. That's fornication. 
perversion is, well, now that I accept that sin, well, I might as well accept this next one that is increasingly and increasingly and increasingly unnatural. Fornication is taking something that was a natural desire for the proper place, the marriage bed of Hebrews 13, verse 4, and taking it to the wrong place. But then if I accept that sin, well, now I can start accepting more perverted sins, more debased, uh, further and further away from righteous. And that's what we see with this homosexuality here. That's what we see with, you know, horrible things like bestiality and pedophilia and all different kinds of horrible things. It's perversion. It's a debased mind. It's a mind that has completely not retained God in its knowledge. Yeah. Give me one example of, uh, <clears throat> of a time in scripture where someone was, was caught up in just one sin, just one thing. And it stopped there. Yeah. You know, it always progresses. And, and I heard somebody say that, uh, sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay, uh, and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. Um, it, it's always taking more and more and more. Um, and so, you know, th this is a good example of how they were living. You, you mentioned the whole idea of sexual immorality, and it grows from there out. It doesn't just stay with, you know, sexual relations outside of marriage. Then it goes on to, well, if I can do that, like you said, well, what's the difference in that and homosexual, mm -hmm. you know, relations? Or, or, and it just it always increases. It always Even increases. adultery, you know. Yeah. Adultery is very similar to fornication, except now you're throwing somebody else's marriage into the mix. Right. And, well, and I don't care about that. I'll do that, too. And and yeah. the consequences just get worse and worse from the, you know, the physical consequences. The spiritual consequences are the same. It's spiritual death because of those mm -hmm. sins. But there's physical consequences that come with increasing levels of perversion, and it just totally corrupts society. Right. Right. And I mean, and we live in the result of that. You know, and it's it's a slippery slope. Once you're on the slope, it's it's hard to stop going down a water slide halfway down. Right. right? Yep. Um, now we can try and we can, you know, obviously we talked about that and being the example and stuff. But once you start going down the slope, it, it's man, it's really hard to stop. Sure. Um, and, yep. and that's that's the issue with sin is that, you know, once you start with one thing it, and its consequences and its actions, it, it just keeps growing. Yeah. And, and there are scriptural examples of times when Israel repented you know large-scale national mm -hmm. repentance it, it does right. happen even Nineveh repented in the book of Jonah uh but for every time and every example of that you've got countless other examples of just going further and further downhill right. Right. so uh and by the way again they didn't retain God in their knowledge Hosea 4 verse 6 says that God's people were destroyed because of that lack of knowledge and we need to mm -hmm. make sure that we're imparting God's knowledge to our young people <clears throat> and to our you know, those in our congregations, et cetera. Uh, verse 29 and down to verse 31, you, you read that er earlier. It says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. That's the idea of kind of gossipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, Somebody says, well, that sounds just like today. Yes, it does. Uh, mm -hmm. This is one of those lists in God's Word. We, we also read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 earlier, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. Um, also, Revelation 21, verse 8, but the cowardly or the fearful, and uh, all this, these different lists that we have in Scripture. And the idea is that these are people who are not going to make it to heaven. The one in Galatians, the works of the flesh, it says, and such like. So when we, we read these several lists, we don't need to think, well, okay, well, uh, I didn't do anything on those lists, so I'm good to go. Well, no, and the such like uh, takes care of a lot of other things too. Again, we can know very clearly right and wrong. We're able to discern that because of our knowledge of God's word, or we should be able to. So uh, we need to make sure that we're not practicing the things on these lists because those who are willfully, unrepentantly, practicing these things they're not going to make it you know on the day of judgment yeah <clears throat> and, and i mean uh verse uh verse number 30 my mom used to read that to me all the time 
because disobedient parents. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it, it all comes together, you know, um, like you were saying, it just, uh, and the such like, you know, yep. all these are lumped in together. But what's even more, um, scary to think about is the verse 32. And that's where we'll, where we'll kind of wrap up. It says who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the one that scares me because I, you know, mm -hmm. I can think about, you know, man, I really don't need to be entertained by this. You know, even the old Don Blackwell quote, uh, he, in one of his videos, he talks about how he saw somebody had uh, under their TV, you know, how dare I be entertained by the things that sent Jesus to the cross. And I think about that a lot and we've all been there. We've all watched things we shouldn't watch, listen to things we shouldn't listen to. Um, partake in things we shouldn't partake of and approve of things that we shouldn't approve of. I mean, we've all been there for being honest and we've done it. And I kind of shudder when I read this, cause I think about all the things I've done and, you know, we're so thankful for God's grace and, and the fact that he is a merciful God. And those of us who are Christians can take comfort in that. Uh, but we don't need to allow ourselves to slip back into this mindset that we're reading about here in Romans chapter one, because if we do, we can fall away, um, just like the folks that did not retain God in their knowledge in this in this chapter. So any thoughts about that before we kind of wrap it up? Yeah, kind of going back to what we started with um, this more, you know, this this discussion. The approval is just as bad as the action. Um you know, we sh certainly shouldn't be caught up in these uh, sinful actions, but I love the example you gave about entertainment because that's approval. You know, <laughs> one time uh, a friend of mine gave a lesson about our kids and our culture, um, and he went through, you know, all these different TV shows that, you know, have a terrible reputation. Simply ask the question. Um, who's watching it? It's getting its rating somehow. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't tell me that there's not Christians who are not watching this because mm -hmm. the data says otherwise. Because um, everybody who professes to be a Christian, um, you know, that's a large chunk of our nation. Um, based on this data, you know, one in every... X amount of households is watching this TV show or listening to this artist on Spotify. And I mean, do we really understand that in supporting that you're approving to it? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's why we need to go back to the idea of, of separating ourselves from this uh, immoral nature, you know, and, and being set apart, being different. Yeah. I mean, you know, we often go to, uh, to this idea of Romans 12, one and two, you know, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Well, what does it mean to be conformed, to, to be blended in with some, you know, uh, I've illustrated that in the past with like, you're making a cake, you know, you take the, the flour and the vanilla and the egg and the milk and you start to mix it together. Well, there comes a point where you can no longer look in that bowl and say, that's flour, that's egg, that's milk, that's sugar, that's vanilla. And it all just becomes blended together. That's conformity. Uh, don't be blended in. You you need to live differently. Have higher yep. standards. Um, because if you don't have those higher standards, what you're really doing is giving approval to those who do not have any standards. Yep. Yeah. And we're not we're not standing out in the proper way. <clears throat> we're not peculiar people, zealous of good works like we're supposed to be. Um, James 1 26 talks about if anyone claims to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue. You know, that's another big one. We haven't even touched that, but that's a, that's a subject for morality. Mm -hmm. uh, he says that uh, such a one's religion is useless or vain. And then it goes into true religion, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, verse 27 of James chapter 1, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Worldliness is a huge problem in the church, and it always has been, I'm sure. Um, and lack of service, you know, lack of getting involved and active is also another huge problem. And that verse takes care of both of those. And, uh, on that regard, Matthew chapter 25, I always shudder when I read that because I'm thinking, man, 
I need to visit more. I need to serve people more. You know, Jesus says, I was naked and in prison and you visited me, visited me or you didn't, you know, I was uh, hungry and you fed me or you didn't, I was thirsty and you gave me drink or you didn't and, and so on and so forth. So that's a big one as well. Something I think about a lot and something I'm trying to improve on. And, um, we're not, you know, our listeners don't need to get the impression that we're demanding perfection. No, no. It's impossible. We're, we're not perfect. Um, but we should be improving and growing in these areas and, we don't need to be blinded to the need for growth in these areas. And uh, we don't need to let the pendulum swing to the other end of the extreme, which is Romans chapter six, you know, well, shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? God forbid, certainly not. And a lot of people do let the pendulum swing that far in that direction. And I'm afraid they're going to be in serious trouble uh, when they look up on judgment day one day and, and Jesus ask him, you know, you are my disciple. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, let me show you your list of <laughs> you were doing this, 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 and this unrepentantly, unashamedly. You could not even blush at it. And you're saying you're my disciple. I don't think so. Right. Obviously that's, that's conjecture on, you know, what Jesus might say, but I could definitely see it happening. Right. So, right. And, um, you know, uh, again, going back to that idea that we're not, we're not setting standards or, you know, again, we're not doing anything, but God didn't set standards that are unobtainable. Right. Um, you know, he expects fidelity, but we understand that there's still flaws. Uh, a lot of times we've gone back to the idea of, of a marriage. Um, and we as the bridegroom of Christ being part of the Lord's church, are we going to mess up? Are we going to have areas that we need to improve on? Yes. But there's a difference in flaws and infidelity yeah and there's a difference in in uh flaws and imperfections but striving versus just getting down in the in the dumps of it and accepting it and be like you know what? right I, I am who i am I'm, I'm just gonna keep living the way i'm living no that's right. totally wrong right and, and and to that point you know like you were saying i can have flaws that i'm working on um, but it's the moment when I say, well, that's just how I am. Yeah. And that's just how, you know, you're just going to have to take it or leave it. Um, and that seems to be the attitude of a lot of people of, well, I, I'm a Christian, you know, air quotes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to change the way I live on this matter, or this matter, or, you know, that's the wrong attitude. And it's an unspoken attitude. A lot of times, right. They, exactly. They would never say that, but they live like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And one and, verse I, I want to do bring up is, yeah. uh, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, you close it out here. But in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse thirty three, a verse we've gone to many a time. Um, you know, God is so smart; uh, He knows what He's doing. Be not deceived; evil company corrupts good habits. And I think it is so important that God has preserved those words, do not be deceived. And why is that the case? Because when we're talking about subjects like this, about morality and, uh, you know, how to live upright in an un, unjust world. And, you know, um, it's all wrapped up in that word. You know, those, those little words, do not be deceived. Because God understands and, and knows full and well that there's people out there that think that they are, strong enough to take on the world. Uh, they're strong enough to befriend the world and, and their morals aren't going to be changed. You know, maybe, maybe for weak Christians, uh, it might affect you, but it's not going to affect me. Be not deceived. Don't kid yourself. There's a reason why we're supposed to be set apart. There's a reason why we're not supposed to be conformed because it's hard to play, you know, ball for both teams, if you will. You know, you, 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 you can't do everything. You're going to have to choose. Um, and I just think it's so important that we understand that the choice of morality is not only what God wants us to do, it is what is healthier for us. Yeah. And I think Romans 1 is very clear about that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's better for us, selfishly. It's better for us to live a moral and upright life. Um. But I'll, I'll let you uh, let you 
go on with that. No, I, I appreciate your thoughts uh, for sure. Appreciate you joining me for these episodes and Lord willing, we do have one more planned with Avery, but uh, I just want to say, as we kind of wrap it up, morality is such an important discussion. It doesn't get talked up near enough. I I know we, we talk about it in passing a lot, but we don't really get into the weeds of morality as much as we should. It's a very important discussion. I do want to say this. Please don't misunderstand us. We're not coming at you from our high horse. I can assure you that we're not looking down on someone or anything like that. We both preach, I'm sure. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So you've got to... You, you've got to avoid both ends of the pendulum effect on a discussion like this and balance it out properly. And, and that can be difficult to do, but we can't just ignore the subject of morality. We can't just ignore um, all the different sins that are so rampant in our society today and just pretend like, well, if we just bury our heads in the sand and don't talk about it, it'll go away from the immorality standpoint. No, it won't go away. We've got to speak out and do our part to, like you said at the beginning, number one, make sure that we're in the right to the best of our ability so that we're not hypocrites in that um, that Romans chapter two stuff that you mentioned earlier. We take care of that for ourselves, but, but number two, we uh, help others as well to attain a, a higher morality. It's all about holiness. Uh, God says, be ye holy for I am holy. We need to remember that. So, thank you for having me for sure. Um, and I know one last thing is just uh, what you were mentioning about. We're not we're not trying to set standards that are unobtainable, or you know, I want everybody to understand that as a minister. Um, and I know Chase probably feels the same and has the same sentiment. The first person I preach to is myself. Oh, yeah. Um, and when Paul was writing Romans, when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, he also wrote about his own struggles. Paul called himself the least of the apostles and also, right. also the least of all saints. Right. So. And it's not like you know we're ever going to be at the top of the morality mountain where we are untouchable. We've arrived. Yeah, right. There's not a, a a finish line. The the ultimate finish line is is heaven. You know, but as long as we're drawing breath, there's not a point where we're good enough, right? You know, yep. as far as that goes. Um, but the point is, is that through this study and through this, you know, topic of morality, we want to encourage you to don't you know don't lose hope. Keep fighting. Uh, choose every day. You know, just like Joshua told the people of Israel, choose morality, choose God. Yeah. Uh, don't be discouraged by the, the the nature of our social environment and, and morality. Stand up for what's right. Teach your kids to stand up for what's right. Uh, don't sell out. We, you know, last last time we talked about First Corinthians chapter twenty one, Naboth wasn't willing to sell out. Don't sell out because in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it if you live an upright moral life. In the long term, it pays tenfold. And then in the short term, it's healthier for you. It's a better environment. It's a better environment for your kids, for your family, for your spouse, for your community, if we choose to follow God. Yep. Yep. Well said. We appreciate you, the listener, for tuning in to this episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. It's been a, a longer one, but a good one. And appreciate Avery again for helping us with this and Lord willing, we will plan on wrapping up the season of the podcast, uh, our season dealing with doctrine. Lord willing, we'll wrap up the season next week on the Everyday Christian Podcast.